Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, April 28th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's Wildcard Wednesday show, we're digging more into 5G and the digital economy with a special guest. Bruce Liu is the CEO of Esoterica Capital, an asset management firm based in New York, New York, focused on investing in the digital economy. Bruce also manages Esoterica's active ETF, which invests in the 5G-enabled digital economy as well. Prior to Esoterica, he was a portfolio manager and partner of Phase Capital, as well as an equity strategist at Wisdom Tree Asset Management and a sell-side equity strategist at Sanford Bernstein. He received his PhD in business administration from the University of Connecticut and holds the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. Recently, I had the opportunity to chat with Bruce about 5G, digital economy, chip shortages, valuations, stocks he likes, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I, I wanted to start first and foremost, just to give our, our members, our listeners, a chance to understand better what you're doing there with Esoterica Capital. So tell us a little bit about your history, uh, what you're doing with Esoterica Capital today, what you're working on. Okay. Uh, thank you for having me, Jason. It's nice meeting you today. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, just a very brief introduction to Esoterica Capital we started a firm almost like, oh, time flies, almost like three years ago in New York City. We actually have offices in both New York City and actually Beijing, China. Uh, so four or five partners now, and we get together two years ago, three years ago, and thinking about the, the, what's the next thing to invest in. Uh, 5G cycle is the first one coming into our mind. Uh, well, you know, like uh, we, wanted, we wanted to do it a little bit different than before, uh, we used to be the hedge fund, you know, portfolio managers and research analysts. This time around, we saw the opportunity to launch an ETF, really serve the retail market. I always joking with the people, you know, um, my mom missed the, the 4G cycle. I don't want her to miss the 5G cycle again. So how about create an investment vehicle? It's easier for her to put all her money in. Uh, here we go. <laughs> so that's really what's, what was driving us to do this. And uh, we launched the ETF, WUGI, uh, uh, actually just like a, at the end of March last year. Uh, it's, it's been a year. We were very, very lucky. You know, we got into this. Well, you know, it's ironic. You know, we got into to the, the pan- pandemic, but our investment strategy actually benefited from that a lot. The whole like a digital transformation thing, people yeah. realize how valuable that is. You know, the portfolio was benefiting. We had a fantastic run since the end of March last year. So that's who we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's I mean that's a great observation you made there. Just a year ago, launching the fund. Um, I mean that that was a really crazy time back in March and into April. I mean we saw. I mean, just, just an unbelievable, unbelievable situation there with the bear market. And I would imagine launching that fund, you probably got it at a time where you were able to get some pretty good deals, um, along with 
really investing in a lot of the companies that that since then have proven themselves to be really instrumental in this digital economy. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of crossover between your portfolio and and the stocks that we recommended in our service. And I want to talk more about that um, real quickly. I just I did want to ask, what is so the ticker WGI? What is that? What does that stand? What does that mean? There's a meaning that, there. I want to know what it is. There is actually. That's how you pronounce 5G in Chinese. So when you go to Asia, Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, when you see Wuji, and people know you are referring to 5G. <laughs> <laughs> see, I knew there was a meeting there, and I'm glad I asked. That was just something I saw, and I thought, man, there's got to be something there, and that's perfect. Yeah. Great to when know. When we were thinking about the ticker back then, and uh, it happens that WGI is available, we thought, why not? You know, it's interesting. It's fun. <laughs> that's perfect. I love it. That'll be very easy to remember. I guarantee you, I will never forget that personally. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about 5G because that's really what our service is all about. It's it's yeah. investing in 5G. Um, and something I noticed with your fund mm -hmm. that is very similar to the service that we run here. Mm -hmm. and, and it's something that when we, we started our service here not all that long ago either. It was shortly after. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like you started your ETF. But we, we approached it with a very similar philosophy. And it's not just about investing in the, the companies that are building out the infrastructure, the tower companies, the chip companies, mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure companies, but it's also about all of these companies that are benefiting from the technology, right? These, these companies that are helping to build this digital economy mm -hmm. that seems to be uh, unfolding right before our very eyes. I mean, I wonder why in, in your mind, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, let's just imagine the pandemic never happened. Mm -hmm. 5G would still be happening and it would still be important. Why, why do you feel like the 5G economy is so important? That's a very, very good question, Jason. And we got to ask a lot about that. You know, what do you see from 5G? Why not just invest in the, the, the uh, carriers, you know, like uh, guys like Nokia, Ericsson, those like infrastructure, like hardware makers. Uh, we see 5G a little bit different from probably some existing products out there. And uh, I always use 4G cycle as a very perfect example uh, to make my case. So think about the 4G cycle in US. We started the 4G cycle back in uh, 2009, I believe. You know, also, you know, uh, right after a, a recession or in the middle of a recession, very similar to how we started the 5G cycle. The significance of 4G is what? And I keep asking people, it really created a mobile internet. Yeah. Mobile internet economy globally. US, US started the first and export that to the, the rest of the world. We saw how that has changed the world, how that you know changed how people it's it's 40 is more about connecting people. That changes the way what we communicate, we consume information, we entertain ourselves. That's the significance of 4G not only with the 4G technology itself, not only with the you know, Nokia, Ericsson, Huawei, those guys who build the 4G infrastructure, not only just with the AT&T, Verizon, who provided like 4G services, it's bigger than that. Transition from 3G to 4G, that was disrupting the technology ecosystem, infrastructure, right? From the very bottom to the very top, from the, the, the semiconductors, from the you know, computing architecture to the software, how we deploy the software. And until the applications, that's where you got the, 
uh, Uber, you got you know <laughs> Netflix and Facebook, Instagram, all those new things. I think that's the significance of 4G. Okay, now 5G. Looking back now, it's you know for 5G, it's no longer a question we're gonna do it or not. It's just like you know how long this 5G cycle cycle is gonna last. Right. How much value creation is driven by 5G? Well, also I want to make case. You know, we call this like a 5G cycle, not just 5G technology itself. Uh, there is reason behind it because that's a combination of all kinds of technologies together. Not yeah. only just the 5G itself. You got AI, you got edge computing. We can go on and on, and I'm gonna talk about that. You know, later on we we can sure. you know, get the details. And uh, just looking back, 4G is just a special case of 5G in my opinions. 4G is connecting people. 5G, the significance of 5G is connecting everything together. That's what the, the purpose of 5G. You connect more things together, you do it much faster, and there's low latency. Yeah. Meaning like you really can do a lot of things in life. You know, you feel like you're just like you and me right now talking. And you know, when 5G is really here, we have the AR, VR, a VR capacity, we, we, you know, we don't need to go to the meetings together anymore. <laughs> you, really, I think that's where 5 the, the promise of 5G. And when everything connected together, what's the meaning of that? What's the true thing behind it? We generate tons of data, tons of data. Oh, uh, Jason. No, I mean, you, 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 you hit on something there with the data and it reminded me of a question that one of our members asked me recently in regard, one of our mm -hmm. recommendations in the service is a company called DocuSign. I'm sure you're very familiar with of it. Of course, of um, course. <laughs> the, question, the question was, why, you know, why does 5G, how does DocuSign, a company like DocuSign benefit from something like 5G? You, mm -hmm. you know, 3G technology, 4G technology, that's, that's enough to, to send documents back and forth. And, and mm -hmm. they're right, you know, I mean, it, it's sending things back and forth, the technology needed for that is, is not really very, very complicated. But, mm -hmm. but my point in the answer that I offered was, number one, it's, it's not about what DocuSign's doing today, it's about yeah. what DocuSign is going to be doing tomorrow in a year and five years and 10 years from now. But I also, it made me think of a traffic jam and living here in Northern Virginia, and I'm sure you up in New York, you're very yeah. familiar with traffic jams, <laughs> but really 5G, it's about building, it's about building more lanes. It's about accommodating more data. You just said it right there. It's really the amount of data that is being transferred today is just monumental versus what we've been used to. Exactly, exactly, Jason. You know, we got used to 4G mobile internet. Our life, personal life, is all already digitalized already, right? You do everything online on your phone. It's all digitalized. But, you know, the world is so much bigger than our own lives. You know, a lot of like business applications, manufacturing sites, and just so many things that have not been digitalized yet. The, the promise of 5G is actually just to digitalize every aspect of our life, our economy. That's why we call this a digital economy. We are really onto the path of digitalizing everything, you know, in our life. Uh, so that's the value creation of 5G. You know, that's why in this cycle, in our mind, we just, you know, the 5G cycle just started. In the next, I don't know how long it's gonna last, maybe 10 years, even maybe 20 years. and. Uh, we are in the process of digitalizing every aspect of our life, every corner of life. It's yes. all going to become like online. It's all going to be, you know, 
uh, stored, memorized, and uh, somewhere in cloud and analyzed. And uh, so that's where we got tons of data. And yeah. we get to know everything much better, uh, which help us to make it, you know, better decisions. And not only for the, on the personal level, it's for business. I think that's one thing special about 5G. You know, a lot of people were asking, so like, what's the big deal with 5G? You know, I already able to do a lot of things with 4G. I don't need a 5G, yeah. which is true. You know, uh, 5G <laughs> might be on the personal level, offer you something better. You know, you can play like cloud gaming. You can do the real life engagement better. And there's no latency when you were talking to your friends, your mom, maybe thousands of miles away, like myself, you know. Yep. <laughs> and uh, but you know, it's all also about the the business. I think the 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 most significant part of five G infrastructure is for business. You know, uh, you, uh, on the manufacturing side, for example, all your machines are connecting together, yep. and uh, you can manage them better, making better decisions, maintain them better. And the smart cities got all connected. Now to mention the autonomous vehicle, you know, like people, that's there's a hype there. You need a 5G infrastructure to be there to make this really practical, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, I mean, I, I think to your point, I mean, I think a lot of people when we had 3G and we were talking about going to 4G and they thought, well, I, I don't need 4G. I can do everything just fine. Because at the time, nobody was thinking that we would be watching videos on our phones. Nobody was thinking we would be streaming music. Mm -hmm. Everybody still was focused on owning their music. Mm -hmm. And then once the technology unfolds and you witness all of the conveniences and the advancements it offers, then, then it becomes a little bit more clear in hindsight. I feel like with 5G, that's going to happen as well. Five years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, this was a big step forward. As I'm sure you and I will meet again and we'll start talking about six. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Also, you know, something special about the 5G, when people, when the 3G PPP is designing uh, the 5G protocol, right. they have this vertical application in mind. They actually have that in mind. We, they were not just the designing the, 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 the standard for the 5G communication. When they design that, they are thinking about the, you know, put that into work, put into the different vehicle verticals and for the industrials, for transportation, for warehousing, of course, for the, you know, personal communication as well. So that's something, that's why 5G is more significant in my opinions, because that's really from the, the start, they have that in mind to drive the, uh, vertical adoption of 5G. And uh, oh, yeah, and uh, similar to the 4G cycle, you know, and every, if you're looking back to the history, every generational transition from to 2G to 3G, 3G to 4G, now we get to the 4G to 5G. It's actually the, I'm just talking about the technology stack, you know, really, really the technology stack. Right. It's a process of disrupting the legacy infrastructure, creating the new ones. I'll give you one example, you know. Uh, now, the, you know, what a 5G, we spend so much money, energy, and like getting the 5G out there. What it really improves is what? Is the, the speed, capacity, latency from your phone to the radio access network, right? So that's what that 5G really improves. But that's not the whole thing. Think about it, whenever you want to use an application, you know, you start on your phone, the signal, the data goes to the radio access network, but it has to go to the central cloud, right? Oh. The, the, go to the, the server, server. 
then comes the one you do the, the processing over there, the signal comes back and then come back, you know, comes back to your phone. So that's the loop. That's the, the ecosystem. Now 5G, you know, 5G's game is up so much, you know, they have the latency, they have speed. So you have to improve the latency speed all over the place to realize the, the, the promise of 5G. Yeah. So that's the another like it's purely from the technology perspective. That's the thing. Sometimes people are missing that 5G is not only that small part. 5G means the whole thing. So yeah. now, the legacy infrastructure, you know, may not be able to keep up with this. You know, the the requirement for the speed and the latency. So you have to, you know, uh, 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 change the way you do your what we call the computing architecture. So in our mind, the computing architecture is gonna change. You know, right now, just very traditional data center. You put all the server servers there, you stack all the servers there whenever you have the new workloads. You know, I need more servers and everything goes to your CPU. You do it there and you know, that's in the central cloud, right? Then it goes back to your, I don't know where your edge play, devices are, but that's the, 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 the process. Well, in the 5G world, that's no longer working because it just takes so much time, you know, for, for, for the data to move from the, the, for example, your phone to the central cloud and it comes back. And also, you know, you imagine, we mentioned this earlier, going forward, we got a tons of that data from all over the place. Just think about all the data just going through this back, you know, from your edge devices and to the central cloud and comes back. This is not just now the efficient way to do things. So that's why, you know, it's changing the arch computing architecture, even from the, the, the semiconductor level. Oh, yeah. That's why, you know, NVIDIA and AMD, and, and they're all coming up with these new solutions. And yeah. sometimes you heard about like, a, you know, DPU, data processing units, really a GPU, GPU is no longer new and the smart NIC. And really what that really does is, you know, well, first, you don't put all the, you do, do not put all the workload into the CPU anymore, right? Because you, you, you want to optimize that. You can't come up with like a GPU, DPU to offload some, you know, workload from CPUs. You just allow CPU to do what they are designed to do. The applications, revenue generating applications. Well, let other like GPU, DPU to do other data handling things like, you know, AI machine learning, you let the DPU to do that. Or like a network accelerator, you let the DPU to do that. You know, that's where the world is going. And that's what I'm saying. That takes the, the disrupting the legacy technology stack and the putting the new ones. This is very exciting. This is, we are at the beginning of this whole thing. And exciting. Uh, yeah, and you know, also, you know, uh, to make 5G really work, to realize the true promise of 5G, workload is not, the computing is not going to stay in the central cloud anymore. Edge computing is becoming a real thing. You have to push all those computing capacity as close as possible to the edge devices, to where the users are. And I think that's the, 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 the new computing architecture we're talking about. We're at very, very beginning of this. And a lot of people are looking at, uh, take a semiconductor, for example, as a, like a very cyclical sector. And it comes, uh, goes up and come down and uh, along with the, the, the GDP PMI. 
that's no longer the case anymore. You got like a structural change. You really got structural change of the whole industry. The, the, uh, the need for semi-content is growing exponentially from here. Just because of those 5G AI, you know, this digital transformation we're talking about, we're going through. 5G is driving that. 5G is a enabling technology. You know, that's why we, you know, try to, sorry, I might throw too, too many concepts there, no, no, but no. this really, you want to connect everything together. You really I want to connect the doing. dots. I think that's what you're doing. And that's what we, that's what we try to do uh, every, every day, every week with our services. It is a very big concept to grasp. And, you know, we, we've talked about things like internet of things and AI, machine learning, yeah. AR and VR, mm -hmm. uh, cloud and edge computing. And that's one reason why I was so excited. We, one of our recommendations in the service is Cloudflare. And, and it's just a company. We love the company. Like, we yeah, love the company. <laughs> as well. And I was very excited to see that crossover. Um, what, listen, I, you have a lot of great ideas in your fund. And, and I've, I've been through, I've, I've looked through the holdings there. I'm excited to see the names that we own. I'm excited to see some of the names that we don't own because you're giving me some ideas to dig into. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, uh, maybe we could talk for a few minutes about a couple of the holdings in your fund that you you really like. Are there a couple of, of stocks, a couple of holdings in that fund today that you're really optimistic about? Or a couple, a couple, of, couple of ideas that you feel really positive about? I mean, obviously you like them all, mm -hmm. but are, are there any names in there, any companies in there that stand out to you? Uh, well, you know, uh, you, you say the holdings, so like top positions are, are high convictions, you know, like C, that's a Singapore-based, uh, you know, e-commerce slash yeah. gaming slash payments. That's on the, you know, application of part. We imagine the company. Now it's because 5G is not there yet, but you can envision what kind of like applications might prosper and grow bigger. And in the regions that actually like, you know, uh, 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 the right regions to do that. We see stands out for us. You know, they really serve the customers in the Southeast Asia and sometimes in Latam, you know, by giving this like mobile gaming. Just think about it when 5G comes that I, we, we, we can imagine that part is just going to grow in even more. Then they add e-commerce onto that. E-commerce, e no doubt, is going to benefit from 5G. You know, you, you, you're going to switch from the traditional e-commerce to the new e-commerce. Right. So that's something we actually, we write a lot about that. You know, people can go to our website and our Instagram and LinkedIn to take a look. We share that on a daily basis. And digital payments, you know, uh, and when the whole world is going to go digital, there's no doubt you have to make uh, your payment work in the digital way. So they really occupy three big themes and uh, you know, uh, uh, long-term themes. We, that's why we like the firm. Of course, we did our research and uh, we, we, we understand the management team. That's a high quality, high quality management team. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, just look at their execution in the past like four or five years, fantastic. At the end of the day, this, you know, this is people business. You have to <laughs> have the right team there. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's one. We go down the list, you can see a lot of like high quality semi names and we like them. That we mentioned, semi is such an important component to really drive the digital transformation, to really build the, a new infrastructure. You know, we, you know for starting from TSMC, AMD, NVIDIA, Marvell, Qualcomm, those are our core holdings. But today I wanna give you a new name. It's not in our portfolio yet, but we just love the company. We are doing actively doing research. Hopefully, you know, 
uh, Acronics, you know, Acronics, A-C-E-V is a ticker, it's still in a spec. That's, wow. so far it's a very small cat, you know, like, uh, uh, they're not a spec yet, but uh, just take right. a look at a fun, uh, company. They are the only independent uh, high-end FPTA uh, 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 company, uh, semiconductor company out there. Uh, they really, really compete. The other two high-end uh, uh, FPTA companies, Xilinx and Altera, are acquired by the, 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 the big boys. Right. And this is the only independent one. They very much specialize or focus on this, you know, uh, data accelerator, the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, to support all, you know, offload some workload from the GP CPUs and, you know, and the focus on those, you know, workloads, computational storage, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and the machine learning. So, uh, and also, you know, being very flexible and power efficient, high performance, you can deploy all those semi solutions to the edge computings. They really, they serve the end market from AI, uh, machine learning to 5G uh, to autonomous, autonomous driving. And that's the company we like. You just, you know, no matter who, who is going to build what kind of like awesome solutions out there, you kind of need their, you know, uh, chips, you know, that's the, the companies we're always looking for. And uh, so uh, I, we feel like that's a very interesting idea. Uh, you know, the, the, it's a growth story. You, you can yeah. say, you know, the huge potential once we get onto this path. But also that could very well become a, you know, uh, M&A target. And just think yeah, about it. I throw something out there, uh, NVIDIA. Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if someday NVIDIA takes a look at, okay, in my portfolio, I actually need some like FPTA solution. This is just a perfect. So that's why, you know, we like the firm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I love NVIDIA too. It's one that I've recommended in another service. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see what this antitrust uh, process reveals in regard mm -hmm. to the acquisition, because I, I'm still not actually convinced that they're going to let that acquisition happen. Given NVIDIA's status in the industry, it is such an important business yeah. with not only a lot of important technology, but a lot of customers that really depend on them. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that that antitrust and uh, process goes. And you mentioned some other companies in there, Xilinx, which is a recommendation in our service. And so we're watching Xilinx go through that acquisition, mm -hmm. uh, where what AMD Advanced Micro Device bringing in in Xilinx, and then yeah. another one that I had really liked, and, and I was thrilled to be able to get it in early, was a company called Infi, and okay. Infi also recently acquired by Marvell Technology. Yep, yep. So mm -hmm. Very excited to bring Marvell into our portfolio as well. And so when I saw all those um, in your in your fund, I, I I thought, hey, that's great. I love to see that kind of crossover. But then it made me it made me think that you you know this this chip shortage has been pretty pretty interesting to follow. And mm -hmm. to your point, I mean, I think I think we're hitting a stage here where the cyclicality of the chip space of the semi space is going to, maybe there will be some cyclical nature to it, but it's not gonna be as pronounced, I think, because to the point you just made, they are so crucial to everything that we do now. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen for cars, for example, I mean, it's not uncommon for a car to have 50 to 75 uh, chips in it. So yeah. I wonder what, 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 have you, what are your thoughts on the recent chip shortage and how that's playing out in the market today? There are both in our mind. There are both like a secular and a cyclical factors contributing to this. Also, like geopolitical things. And uh, well, we can think of three things. First, you know, uh, of course, you get this inventory building. When everybody is say the uh, pandemic is going to be over, people are overbooking. 
So that's the nature of that. That's contributed to the shortage of the chips. That's for sure. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, uh, two years, it's almost like two years. And, uh, you know, US, China, this is semiconductor, like, uh, 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 we call it a semi-war. We actually wrote a series of like <laughs> thoughts about it. Like, so where we, well, that actually transforming the semi-supply chain. Back then, you know, global semi-supply chain is very unique. Is a very standard one. And, uh, you know, and now this new thinking into this, that's, that does have some impact on the global semiconductor supply chain. We actually believe that contributes to the problem a little bit as well. And the third one is really the secular factor, just because everybody saw this, okay, digital transformation, the demand for those devices are just, you know, growing exponentially. So that's, we call that secular, you know, factor. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to look at this node by node uh, for the leading edge node. I mean, talking about the TSMC seven nanometer node. And uh, there you need a capacity. That's why... TSM, if you look, you look at the TSMC latest earnings call, they invested like they committed like a, what hundred billion. I think for three years three for years. capex. Yeah. That capex is really just going into the the, the leading edge yeah. uh, node. Well, uh, the, the shortage on the mature node, like take a twenty eight nanometer node. Well, that's more uh, uh, cyclical, and uh, I think the tightness in that part is gonna stay a little bit longer. Uh, because you don't see the, the the companies are willing to put you know invest in new capacity into it, yeah. all the capacity capacity capex are going into the leading edge once. So it's actually quite complicated pictures. You have to like really look at end markets and different nodes and say you know where this tightness can last. Well, uh, also from TSMC, well I'm just quoting them and they say this general tightness is going to last into 2022. And even to the like 2023, don't be surprised if we get to that point. But they do say like they're auto customers and the, the next quarter will be significantly improved. Let's yep. see. But this is, I don't think this is going to be resolved anytime soon. A lot of people were worried, you know, the people are overbuilding. So far, we haven't seen that yet. And uh, where people spend the money on are actually the leading edge ones, which has the secular tailwind <laughs> yeah it feels like at least even though they're headwinds in the space today mm-hmm. it's nice to be invested in companies where the demand for their products are so high right yeah. the demand is so high for what they do mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we we have continued to build out so many of those recommendations in the service based on that chip space because to me mm-hmm. it, it that really is that's that's a crucial part to this to this entire thing working um we we've talked a lot about uh all of these different technologies that are being enabled by this. I mean, again, we mentioned AI and mm-hmm. BRAR and mm-hmm. IoT and all this stuff. Is there a, is there a particular um, capability or a, a particular technology that's being born from this 5G rollout, from this 5G uh, stretch here? Is, is there a particular technology or capability that you're more excited about than others? Like, I mean, is it edge computing? Is it is it AI? Is it VR? Is there what what really gets you excited? Well, uh, uh, my thought process really centers on data. Yeah, generating data, moving data, processing data, analyzing data, store data. That's that's where my thought process is really focusing on. So, like uh, back here, uh, driven by by five G, 
And uh, you, you need to generate data from the 5G devices. That's where the Qualcomm's new, you know, uh, RF front end and also baseband technology is very promising and interesting as very high end. And uh, they actually, the, the, the technology leadership from the Qualcomm offering this specific 5G application is, is actually widening, now like closing. And uh, so that's very 5G specific, but, you know, thinking out of 5G, thinking about digital economy, how we, you know, uh, uh, once you get tons of data, processing those data, that's where we actually mentioned earlier, this DPU, really separate the CPU, DPU, GPU, have the different like chips focusing on what they are good at, then deploy that in that way. That's also something we are very excited about. That's changing the whole, how, you know, the uh, computing architecture is built. Yeah. And of course you mentioned edge computing and we wait to see. Uh, 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 Cloudflare, you know, is, is a very promising one. They do all kinds of the right work, but it's an early stage. You know, they are gonna, I don't know, one day when the big boys come into the picture, try to compete with them, they already, you know, see Amazon, AWS has been working with Verizon, providing the, you know, the, the uh, edge computing, I forgot the name of the services, uh, in diff, like in 10 cities in US already. And uh, when the, the, I think, but that's a very interesting part of the whole thing. Well, you know, moving up a little bit on the software layer, once you get all the data, how you like just make the best out of that, store it, analyzing it, processing it in the most efficient way, and really, you know, allow people to do a lot of like AI, uh, ML work on it, make it just, that's why, you know, we, we, we like Snowflake, we really do. They are the, the front runner in that space. And they make it this whole a lot easier for businesses to do the data work, uh, you know, loosely speaking, our data bricks. And also, it's a private company, but we we just love the, <laughs> the you know, uh, although it's just a private, we we already started like doing work on them. So to try to understand, you know, once they go public, we you know we when the time is right, we want to put it in. Uh, that's where the most exciting part. Well, it's a little bit too early to tell about talk about the application of 5G, uh, autonomous driving, uh, that's exciting, but you know, it comes back to the, the semiconductor work, a lot of like algorithm work Google has been doing. And uh, we're very, you know, we wanna wait and see, you know, like what you said earlier, five years later, we might, you know, a lot of people are smart, developers are so smart. Once we build the infrastructure, we give them the capacity, they're going to build something really, really awesome. I, I have no doubt about that. And uh, hopefully as investors, we find them earlier and better. <laughs> well, okay, so that you say a keyword there, you said earlier. And I love, I love how you're digging into companies even before they go public. That's just, that's terrific. Um, mm -hmm. In regard to, you know, something we talk about a lot is, is the, the state of the market today, uh, valuations. And, mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of companies like SPACs that are going public and they're often pre-revenue or they are just mm -hmm. starting revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you have a lot of other companies, I mean, Cloudflare, for example, companies that are growing very quickly, mm -hmm. but, but clearly the financials aren't reflecting the true potential economics of the business yet. No. Um, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you approach that valuation conundrum there? I mean, looking at a lot of these companies that seemingly the businesses look very important and we know they're going to be crucial, mm -hmm. but the valuations today scare a lot of people off. What do you tell those people who, who get scared of those types of valuations? 
Oh, Jason, that's a very, very good question. We got that a lot, <laughs> especially the investment we do. That's always a challenging. Well, first of all, I think evaluation is a relative concept. A lot of people are making cases so expensive right now. Look at the S&P, look at the NASDAQ. The valuation is, is, is higher than uh, back to the tech bubble. But yeah. uh, uh, think about this, put it into the context. Uh, back then, the real yield, U.S. 10-year real yield is 400 bips. Yeah. Right now, what is, it's negative, today I just look at like a, a negative 70 bips. Wow. So that's, that's what's supporting the valuation these days. It's all relative. So if you look at the equity risk premium, really taking into account this, you know, uh, free rate, uh, it's, it's not that crazy. I'm not saying it's cheap, but it's not as crazy as it sounds. So that's the first thing. And second thing is, you know, a lot of companies like um, that's where the research uh, makes a huge difference, you know, just because that's purely the nature of our business. We try to find those companies that are in the growthy, growth mode. They are in the, they have an awesome idea, awesome products, and it's really the time for them to invest back. Yeah. You know, R&D, sales and marketing, expanding the market share, what really matters is really, 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 really build, you know, expanding their time. And uh, so they're in the invest mode. Of course, you know, their bottom line looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you, that's where you need to understand the business. You know, a lot of people are just saying things and they make a beautiful presentation and they're telling good stories, but actually it's the, the potential for them to deliver may be very low. Yeah. But for some other companies, their execution is execution is great, fantastic management team, fantastic you know theme, and great products. You see the potential for them to grow, become next to Amazon. So think about this debate. For Amazon has been around for how long, right? People keep missing it because of this. Oh, this is so expensive, you know. <laughs> Even today, you heard about these people arguing about that. Same thing for Netflix. Yep. Now everybody realizes Netflix is gonna become a, like a cash call very soon, right? Yep. <laughs> so like that's this is more art than science. That's where you really need to do your homework rather than just you know blandly looking at the valuation matrix like try to oh this is so expensive or oh, this is cheap. No. Focus on the fundamental, focus on the company and being able to tell, are they able to deliver? And, uh, you know, that's the thing. But in general, I agree with you, you know, just think about what happened in February, right? Just, just talking about this year, I'm not even talking about this year. From the beginning of the year to the mid, middle of like February, market had a nice run. Why? It's very easy if you put like a real yield onto there. Real yield dropped to almost 100, negative 100 beeps. That's really supporting the, you know, uh, 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 the equity valuation. And uh, although the interest 10 year is rising, but, you know, real yield staying low, inflation expectation was rising high. This is a perfect setup for the risky assets. That's why we had a nice run. But since the middle of February, the dynamic has changed. Now everybody knew that. But if you focus on the chart, sorry, I should share a chart here. Actually, we have a very telling chart. We even wrote about that. Since the middle of February, you know, 10-year treasury yield keep kept rising up, but the dynamic has changed. That was more driven by the rising up of real yield. 
which in my mind is a proxy for you know a, a financial condition. Financial condition was tightening for many reasons. You know, Japanese buyers who didn't want to come to the market. You know, we had a horrible like seven year, you know, like auction. You know, people, you know, you got tons of narratives out there, but that's what's driving that. When that happens, when real yield was rising up fast, we we within like almost like just two weeks or even just one week, we it rose up from negative 100 bips to like almost like a negative 50 bips. That's a huge change. You know, when you have the real yield was rising up, who is more vulnerable? The long duration assets, a lot of like a growthy, you know, uh, stocks because, you know, your, your, your term value de decides your valuation. So that's what we call them a long duration assets. Also the expensive ones, you know, because this real yield was supporting your valuation now, you know, and it's, it's less supportive. So market was in a mood of like, you know, shoot first, then ask the question later. So that's why we went through this. People call it a huge rotation. It's really just a killing high growthy, expensive like stocks. It happens to, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, those like, you know, thematic portfolios. So that's what's, what's happening. So going forward, I think for the, you know, if you're, I still believe, you know, uh, if you have a long-term view, stay in the lane, stay investing the high, hyper growth companies. This is the, where the future is. Uh, well, you have to be very mindful of it, the valuation now. Well, if you don't think real yield is going to go back to the negative 100 bips, which we don't think that's the case. If you don't have that, you know, uh, uh, but real yield, hopefully it's going to stay in a tight range, stable, but still low. Like I say, for my, my assumption is, you know, in the near term or midterm, 10-year treasury real yield might stay in the range around like a negative 50 bips, which is historically, it's still very good. It's still support the risky assets, yeah. but not good enough to support the high flyers. So I feel the, the, the high flyers, the, the, the companies are, well, I call them dream stocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you have to be able to tell the who are the real deal, who are... The dreaming stocks, mm -hmm. and I don't think they are gonna go back to where they were back in January and February. They're under a lot of pressure, yeah. but the high quality ones who can deliver the growth, you can see gradually they're gonna come back. So well, that's I mean, my thesis. So that's how I look at the markets and how I pick my stocks. I love that. I mean, it's very much in line with the way we think here. Uh, not only not only in next gen supercycle or service, but really. The Motley Fool, uh, generally speaking, we we believe that time is the individual investor's greatest advantage, or at least one of them. Yeah. Uh, being able to be patient, finding good businesses, and then taking that five to ten year that five to ten year time that view that that really that gives you the freedom to weather those ups and downs because we know those ups and downs mm -hmm. are are they're going to happen regardless. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly sounds like you, 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 think, you think about investing the way we think about it, too. And that's why this conversation has been so fun. Uh, Bruce, we're at the beginning of the whole thing. We are at the beginning of the whole thing. Really I keep are. telling my friends, you know, don't be afraid of the volatilities. You know, don't gamble. You know, don't take unnecessary leverage. Don't even take leverage. You know, <laughs> finding the, let, let the, the company's leverage work for you. That's why I'm all, I, I always keep telling my friends, you know finding those companies, let them work for you. <laughs> I think that's, that's absolutely the right way to look at it. Like we told so many folks is if you want to ingest, if you want to invest in 5g, if you wait until 2023 or 2024, you're going to be too late. Yeah. It, 
you have to start now because it's starting now. It's going to take a little while. I think a lot of folks think 5G is just like hitting a switch and it's really not that way at all. It's going to be something that is going to be a slow process and evolution, so to speak here, I think over the next decade, uh, certainly the next five years ought to be yeah. very exciting. Also finding the right exposure. We do not like, you know, uh, uh, 5G hardware makers like Ericsson, Nokia. We don't like them. We do yeah. not like carriers and the fault, you know, we can go on and on, but you know, we, we don't even like the smartphone makers in this time mm -hmm. around. You know, think about the 4G. Smartphone is from zero to one, right? Yeah. That change is significant. But from the 4G to 5G, it's no longer from zero to one. It's just like a replacement cycle. So <laughs> exactly. instead of betting on the smartphone, betting on the semiconductors in the phone. <laughs> yeah. And the companies licensing that technology, companies like Qualcomm. Exactly. Followed a company called Siva, but a very similar business, one that is a very small company, but they license a lot of that technology. And exactly. Want to follow. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Bruce, this, this has been so much fun and I know we're pressed for time. So I'm going to go ahead and cut it off here and let you go because I want to save some time for our next conversation because you can rest assured I'm going to reach back out to you. I want to talk <laughs> with you again. Thank um, you very much. This for, is so fun. Well, for folks who want to learn more about Esoterica Capital and what you all are doing there, real quickly, just tell, tell folks how they can find you. Well, it's easy. We, we actually actively reach out to our audience. We want to serve retail investors. We walk the talk. We right. mean it. You know, uh, come to our website, come to our uh, LinkedIn, come to our Instagram page. We share, we do share everything on a daily basis, what we observe and uh, what's our latest thoughts. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we share a lot of stuff out there and just come to find us. Well, well, also, you, they can email me, and I'm always open to a conversation. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to meet actually in person someday here sooner rather than Look later. Look forward to it, Jason. Yeah, me too. That'll be a lot of fun. And, and I, I will say, having, having visited your website already there at Esoterica Capital, I, everything you just said there, sharing the information, you're active, you're always putting new stuff out. It's a really fun site to, to peruse. And, and so I absolutely recommend everyone go check out Esoterica, Esoterica Capital because you're doing some great work over there. Bruce Liu, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, this has been just such a fun conversation. I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having us. And that's going to do it for us this week, folks. You can learn more about Esoterica Capital by visiting their website at esotericacap.com. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus or drop us an email at IndustryFocus at Fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, or The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.